registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much, Erin, for having me on. My pleasure. We were just laughing off air for a little bit about how long it's taken us to finalize a date because both of us have been incredibly busy. You've got kids at home and you're running a business and so juggling a lot. Yes, absolutely. We just kept going back and forth. So I'm I'm so glad we can finally do it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about kind of just what do you do and how did you get into it? Like what what made you interested in a specific niche? Yeah, I love this question. So I'm a registered dietitian, picky eating specialist, and I always throw this in mom of two. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to know that I'm a mom because then you can like, okay, she gets it. She's had spaghetti thrown at her face. All right, now I can listen to her, right? I think it helps a little bit. Of course, you don't need to have kids to be a picky eating specialist, but um, that's kind of part of my story as well. And so I actually learned all about how to feed kids in undergrad before I had kids. And on paper, I was like, yeah, this is easy. Check, check, check. Totally got this. No problem. Ace the test, moved on. And I loved learning about it. But it really didn't come full circle until I had kids of my own. And my son particularly started to get picky. And I was like, what is happening? This is not working. And I had to kind of go back to my roots. And I actually um, remember a moment in a Chick-fil-A where I was with another family friend who had a daughter a little older than my son. And she asked if she could go play in the play place. And they told her to eat three more bites. And then she could go play. And she kind of begrudgingly did it. And Clearly, this was a conversation they had had before. I had never had this with my son. And he looked at me and said, I want to go play on the play place. Not that well, because he was like two. But he clearly made it known that he wanted to go do that. And I kind of had this internal struggle like, okay, what do I do here? I want to be respectful to my friends. I want to be a good parent. I want to handle this the right way. And I ended up just kind of saying, you know what? You eat three bites too, and then you can go play. And he gobbled it up, no problem. But the thing is, is that from that point on, really, things started to spiral out of control in our home. Because if any of you listening struggle with picky eaters at home, you know that typically you have to continue to increase the pressure or increase the reward that they get for trying a certain food. And oftentimes we get a lesser result, right? We go from three bites to two bites to one bites to lick it, to look at it. Oh my gosh, allow it on your plate. And so this picky eating spiral really starts to take over. And this is the moment where I was like, okay, I got to go back to what I learned in school that sounded easy at the time. And, you know, something can be, um, sound really simple, but in practice it's not. And I went back to that, went back to the research and realized that this is what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to help moms doing because I really realized that my relationship with my son was suffering at the table. And I wanted our table to be a place of connection and fun. And I wanted him to 
grow up and have a good relationship with food, but also with me. And I realized that continuing to pressure him was breaking down both. And so this is kind of why I went into this. And now I have uh, my Instagram, Nutrition for Littles. On Instagram, you can find me there. I have a podcast as well, Nutrition for Littles podcast, try to keep it easy. And um, I created Table Talk, which is my picky eating program to help parents who really struggle and they need to get the basics. Wow. Well, you are serving a very important population and there's so Thank much you. that clearly goes into this, right? The the relationship you have in a family dynamic and there's mental mm-hmm. health that comes into play. And this is, I mean, this is very complex. So I love, I love mm-hmm. that you're here as a dietitian, especially, right? Someone who's an expert in nutrition and um, yeah, this is amazing. I'm really excited for you to share some stuff with us today. Now, as someone who specializes in gut health, I cannot not talk about gut health. So um, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, I've done a lot of research in terms of, you know, some of the the lifestyle practices, um, especially related to pregnancy or infancy um, and how those different practices, whether it's breastfeeding, infant formula, things like that, how they impact our gut microbiome. And I've done a previous episode on this, so I'm not going to go into depth, um, in terms of that stuff, because people can go back and listen to that episode. But in terms of like eating behaviors, the research that I found was actually pretty interesting on how different species. So different bacteria in our gut can actually influence, you know, as kids and adults, um, our eating behaviors. And the research was, it was kind of one of the chicken or the egg situation. Like, you know, are you a picky eater? And then the diversity of your gut microbiome decreases, right? Because we know Mm -hmm. that diversity in your diet supports a healthy, diverse gut microbiome. Or were you, you know, maybe born to a mother who had a less diverse microbiome and that made you a picky eater because your gut microbes were that of those that only crave sweets or don't have a taste for certain things that help the healthy gut bacteria thrive. So basically just me sharing that there is research out there that shows that, you know, gut microbiome can play a role in eating behavior, things that you're craving. And, you know, we know, especially if you're here on my podcast, you know, the influence that your microbiome can have on future health, whether it's allergies, asthma, mental health, you know, so many different aspects. So that is my rant. Um, Any thoughts on that or any experience there with like gut issues with your patients? So many thoughts, first and foremost. (laughs) And, you know, rarely I have someone to like kind of sound off with about this sort of thing. Not because parents aren't interested, but they kind of just want their kids to eat broccoli, right? Like they're just like, you know, I know that they need to eat vegetables. How do I get them to eat vegetables? And sometimes when I spiral down in this area, they're like, okay, okay, get to the point, right? And so I love that you've picked up on this because absolutely. Absolutely, there is research to support. And I think a lot of us will actually see it in our everyday lives, which is why a lot of my account is more focused on variety and increasing variety because it's the number one thing we can do for our kids for their gut health, their overall gut health, and our own too, by the way. <laughs> so I always focus on variety. You know, don't stick to the same breakfast every day, even if it's this like kale, egg, white omelet that you saw was like the healthiest thing in the world, you think, right? And so instead, focusing on variety and really rounding out our kids' diet because that gut health is so important. And I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before, but there's such a connection between that and your mental health and your mental well-being. So of course, that's going to come across in decisions that we make, whether at the table or away from the table with our relationship with our parents. And it feels so um, like intangible that 
what we eat today will impact how we respond to things tomorrow, but it really does build up over time. So if you're listening to this and you're starting to freak out and you're like, oh my gosh, my kid eats 10 things and has the worst gut microbiome and oh my gosh, it's going to lead to like anxiety and depression. Let's like slow down just a little bit because I can hear if I were listening to this, I would start to spiral, right? So let's slow down a little bit and let's A, remember that when I say variety, I don't mean, hey, I want your kid eating 200 different types of foods every week, right? Let's slow it down and let's start with like adding five new things in a week or maybe even two new things in a week. And that's totally fine too. Um, but then again, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this as well as your gut health is directly impacting your immune system. And we all know, especially if there's moms out there listening that our immune system, if it's down and we get sick, our kids eat less, right? They're less, mm. they're eating less, they're hydrating less, which of course takes another toll on gut health and the, um, and the immune system. And then you also have the fact that they're not going to be open to trying something new when they're sick. So when we have more sickness come in, we have more dehydration, we have less variety, all these things start to be impacting how they show up at the table, what they're willing to try. And all of that is really in a large part to our gut health. So I love that you bring that up. I think that's so important. I would say that it it doesn't come up often in my practice as far as parents bringing it to me, but usually where I say, hey, let's think about these sorts of things, especially once they start to have bowel habits that are a little outside of the normal realm or you know, we're just struggling with constipation or toddler diarrhea and our pediatrician just keeps telling us it's normal. It's normal. Mm. It's normal. It's normal. And they come to me and they're like, this cannot be normal. It cannot be normal for me to have to use medication to get my daughter to poop every single day. Right. And so this is where we start to bring in this conversation. And, um, I love it cause I actually love gut health as well. I wish I had more time in the day to research all the things, but I'm so glad you're doing it. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up about, um, you know, kind of changes in bowel habits and gut issues in general, because as someone who personally had horrible digestive issues, like m- pretty much my entire childhood, like when I think about my childhood, I think most specifically about spending tons of time in the bathroom and mm-hmm. being in excruciating pain. And, and mm-hmm. that really impacted my relationship with food, you know, being, you know, yeah. kind of afraid to eat certain things. And so, you know, when I hear people talk about that and how, you know, there maybe they're coming from a place of food sensitivities or allergies or things like that, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, you know, stuff like that it can be very challenging. Um, you know, I'm sure as a parent too, I'm not a parent, so I cannot speak towards that, but I can only imagine, um, you know, what that's like. So I'd love to start off with like, let's just think of your classic, like kid is a picky eater, you know, (laughs) worried about him, you know, her not being healthy. Um, what are some like approaches that you have for just, where do you even begin? Yeah. Oh goodness. This is such a good question. Um, because I think it's so important. And oftentimes as parents, we tend to skip over it. We hear the advice and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Give me the good stuff, right? Give me the stuff that'll go viral on Instagram. And that's what most people want. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to a few basic uh, foundations and principles around eating at the table. And this is good practice, no matter who you're eating with, but especially with kids and being their parents is having boundaries that are healthy for both you and them and enforcing them. That doesn't mean demanding. We can be compassionate and empathetic when our little ones doesn't like the boundary that we set. We also want to make sure we're consistent. So the first thing I want to talk about is this thing called division of responsibility. And it's kind of a big term coined by Ellen Satter, another dietitian who might look up to, um, that basically says we all have roles at the table. 
The parent is in charge of what goes on the plate and into the home when the little one is eating and where they're eating. And so that's our role. Once we make those decisions, we're kind of hands off. Sure, there are things that we can do to help encourage or redirect or help, but really we're kind of more hands off. Now at this point, our child's role at the table is to decide if they're going to eat the food that's been placed in front of them that's available and how much of it which is always a hard one for parents to pick up on, especially when they just keep wanting more and more and more, right? And so that is foundation number one. I have a podcast episode on it. This is something that I would say 90% of the time, picky eating is caused by either the parent or child trying to cross these boundaries. Because it sounds really um, easy, but it's certainly not simple in practice. Um, And random things come up, right? There's a lot of nuance. Uh, The second one is kind of creating a consistent and predictable meal and snack schedule. Now, this doesn't mean you have to take out your stopwatch and set up timers for eating, but I like to think of it more as a rhythm of how their day is going to go. Toddlers in particular, but really any kids, and you know what, come to think of it, adults too, really thrive in consistency. Whether we like to believe it or not, humans really like habit and routine and consistency and predictability. And our kids are the same way. So if we can create an environment where they know when they wake up, they're going to get food within the first 30 minutes that they wake up or whatever it works for you, um, that they're not going to feel stressed or anxious, which by the way, stress impacts their gut health a ton too, right? So Mm -hmm. we want to continue to have this open communication with them of when their meals and snacks will be so that they feel prepared as well. And of course, you come to a conclusion together. You're in charge. You get to set those boundaries. But if you notice your little one is getting hungry and hungry and hungry all the time after school, maybe that's a little flag saying, hey, mom, you need to start adding a snack right after school when they get home or something like that to kind of readjust. So those are the two, I would say, I hate to say most important, but first things to start with, uh, because really we can unpack them so much further. And it takes time to adjust to these new way of living around your table. So that's what I always recommend getting started with. The kind of more fun tip that I'll leave you with though too, for parents that are like, okay, but what else can I do? I just want to get my little one to eat something is to add fun to the plate, to the table, to your experience. Now that doesn't mean you have to run out and go to the Amazon shop and buy all the picky eating tools and utensils that you see on Instagram, although those can be helpful. But a lot of times it's just you interacting with the food yourself, describing it, being silly with it. The other night we had peas and I noticed my daughter wasn't eating them. And so I put them on my spoon and I kind of rolled my spoon back and forth and went, whoa, whoa, and showed her how rolly they were. And she laughed and giggled. And it didn't necessarily have her immediately take a bite of peas, but we're creating that positive connection with new foods. And that's the other thing is we have to realize our kids are new eaters, like likely just a few years that they've been eating. And so food is brand new to them. They're still learning. They're interacting with it. They're learning to trust it, learning to like it. And it it takes so much time for them to build that relationship that will last a lifetime. So it's important that we set that foundation now. I love those tips. Those were incredible. I, I want to go back to the point you made about schedule and routine because yeah. this is something, I mean, in, in, in any age group, right, is you mentioned as humans, we like routine. And there's also, you know, we dig deeper into the science of this and we understand that even our gut microbiome, it has its own circadian rhythm. Yeah. And so when people come to me and they say, oh, I'm, you know, my either I'm constipated or I'm having, you know, irregular bowel movements or I'm, you know, going every three days or you know, it's like, okay, so let's take a look at your meal schedule. Okay. Are you skipping lunch and then you're eating super late and then the next day you wake up and you skip breakfast, right? Like 
those are not super supportive of what you're saying. And then also of digestion and gut health overall. And, you know, it, like you said, it doesn't have to be every single time at the, every single day at the same exact time we do this. Mm -hmm. It's just like a a general structure. And and I think that that's, you know, invaluable and it doesn't need to be perfect is, is what you're saying. Yeah. I love that connection so much. Cause, and you know, in all reality, a lot of the advice I give for parents to feed pick eaters is advice I give for them to feed themselves. You know, no one likes to be talked to like a child or told, you know, those things, but it, it really truly is. It's so important. And, and honestly, this is why I'm so passionate about it. It really isn't about getting your kid to eat one more bite of broccoli today. I'm here to teach you how to teach your child to eat, how to teach your child how to listen to their body, know when they're hungry, know what foods are going to satisfy them, know what foods are going to make them feel healthy long-term and teach them how to have that solid foundation so that they eat those foods for life. And that all starts now. I know that can Mm -hmm. feel like a heavy burden as a parent, but it really is part of our, you know, responsibility as their parents to parent and teach them how to one day do this for themselves. Mm. And I would even go as far to say, you know, you said it starts now, but you, you highlighted the importance of the parents' behaviors around food, right? And, and I work with a lot of, um, you know, females, for example, who are like, maybe they have disordered relationships with food and they say things like, I want to figure this out now because when I have kids one day, you know, I I don't want this to impact them. I want this to be, and they, they understand the, the role that they're playing in another human's life and their eating behaviors and, we can translate that into picky eating, right? Is, is, well, are you going to be asking your kid to eat foods that you don't eat yourself? How do you, how would you navigate that? Like, have you ever come across a situation like that? Yeah, this is such a great question. It comes up a lot in my um, membership, which is my continuation program after table talk where they go, okay, what foods do you not like? Like, what do you do when you want to expose your kids to food you don't like? And I tell them I model the behavior. So I don't like mushrooms. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to like mushrooms. I know they're so good for gut health. You're probably like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? No, my boyfriend doesn't like mushrooms either. Oh, that's so so funny. So I can do them like diced. It's the texture for me. So luckily it's not the taste. So I have to like figure out ways to get them in. But here's the thing is I model that behavior. I put the mushrooms on my plate. Maybe I'll even take a bite and I'll let my kids know. Yeah, not for me today. Maybe next time. And I leave that door open because that's good modeling for what I want them to do when they're exposed to food that they immediately want to say, yuck, I don't like that. Spit it out, throw it across the room. Instead, what do I want them to do? I want them to maybe politely say, yeah, not for me today, but maybe another day and leave that door open. I don't want them to make decisions of I do or I don't like that, or I'll never eat that again. And you can't make me and start digging their heels in. I want them to leave that door open and say, yeah, I'm not quite there yet. And maybe I just need more time. And maybe that's true for me too. Who knows? Maybe 40 is my year that all of a sudden when I'm 40, I'll start liking mushrooms, but until I'll take my eight years without mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's so funny though. Cause it's like, we're, we're also allowed to have preferences. I mean, yes, yes we can play yeah. the, the side of like your taste buds change every how many months, mm-hmm. years, whatever. Like, yeah, that's true. Um, I ate pickles like for, I think I did, I ate pickles like every week for a year to try to get myself to like pickles. This was, Uh I don't know, it must've been 16 years old. I thought it was, I thought pickles were cool. Right. And eventually (laughs) I started to like pickles. Who knows if there's any science behind that. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the concept that we're trying to portray here is that you're saying, you know, kind of keeping an open mind, but also portraying that as a parent too, is saying like, you know, we don't have to like every food, but let's keep an open mind around the relationship with it. Exactly. And 
you know, I think it's too important to model that behavior and important to remember that the only way that we can control if our kid eats something or not is to study it, right? If we don't serve mushrooms, then there's a 0% chance they're going to eat mushrooms, right? And so we, as the parent, continue to offer. Because sometimes parents will ask me like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've served them, let's continue using mushrooms, mushrooms a hundred times and they're just not eating it. When do I stop? And I go, why Why would you stop? Why would you stop offering mushrooms? Because that is a hundred percent guaranteeing the outcome that you don't want, that they're not eating mushrooms, right? So yes, maybe you take a break. Maybe you don't focus on them so much. You know, maybe you find new ways to cook them or, you know, my favorite way, puree them into a soup or something like that. Right. Um, but really giving them that opportunity to continue to try it. And um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but actually with research, there is research for picky eaters that it takes an average of 30 times being exposed to a food for a child to eat it or to even like it. And so if you're listening to this podcast right now, chances are you either have or know a picky eater in your life. And so they're actually going to be on the upper end of that. Because when you think of averaging out, that means that sometimes when they fed a kid mushrooms, they ate it on the first try, right? But another time it took 60 tries. And that's how we get that average of 30. And so just a reminder there that 60 times is a lot. That's once a week in an entire year plus a few. Wow. That's wild. That's crazy. Now, is there anything that you would, like any message that you would give to parents of things like definitely don't do this in terms mm -hmm. of like, what are the worst things as a parent? Like, not that you're giving parenting advice or trying <laughs> yeah. to micromanage anyone. We like, we know that yeah. just you're a dietitian. So what would you like, what would you give us there? Yeah. And this is, you know, again, so nuanced because I truly believe that parents typically are doing the best they can, right? I always love to say, as long as you're feeding those kids, you are doing it right. Because feeding another mouth is hard. And so I just want to put that out there. The biggest thing that I see that parents do, I would say even without even any knowledge that it's rubbing off on their kids or that it's affecting their kids, picky eating or eating in general is dieting. I think mm. parents who go on chronic diets or even just diets in general, talk negatively about their body, skip meals, tell their kids they can't have that. That's kid food. Um, specifically, a lot of the times, the words that we use around food, um, you know, don't eat that. It's full of sugar. It's going to rot your teeth. It's, you know, mm. it's all these things that are really negative consequences. So I always try to encourage parents, listen, if you don't know what to say, it's okay to say nothing. It's okay to serve dinner and not talk about dinner. You know, mm -hmm. second step from there is just describing the food that you put in front of them and then trying to be positive about it, showing them that all foods can fit and working on your own relationship with food um, and finding a way to be healthy without dieting and talking negatively about yourself or food because kids do pick up on that. In fact, that's part of the reason why I got into the picky eating game. And I actually have another podcast as well called The Mama Well, where we help moms with their nutrition, how to get healthy without dieting and focused. The reason why I started this was because I noticed that picky eating and this healthy relationship with food as an adult are way more tied than we thought. Because picky eating, usually when it happens around two years of age, is the first time our kids are exposed to pressure around food. It's the first time that they're taught to look outward of how much to eat than inward. Now, that's not always the case. I know plenty you know, of parents spoon feed and there's issues there too. But typically around picky eating, that's where they start to move their desire to eat from an internal place of being born intuitive eater to an external place of saying, 
you know, uh, mom is telling me I need three more bites, even though my belly's saying I'm all full. And that's kind of where it starts. And that's why a lot of us, once we start to unpack the way that we think about food, the way we talk about food, the way we eat food, it all comes back to our childhood, right? And we're never going to get anything perfect. You know, give yourself some grace, give yourself some understanding. My husband and I have this like running joke that it's like anytime we make a mistake and we realize it, which we're not even going to realize all of them, we're like, put it in their therapy fund. Like we can't hold on to everything we're going to do wrong as parents because truly it's going to happen. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And one day they're going to be on a podcast spouting all about it. So <laughs> it's just I love a good that. reminder. Oh, that's amazing. I think that's such an important message. And, um, you know, it, it very much resonated with my adult clients. You know, they, they mm. do, I've seen this in, I would say 80% of individuals, the clean plate club thing. Yes. That yeah. does not ever leave you like that. I can right. tell you right now, like I've seen it firsthand and, so these behaviors, you know, they really do carry over and they, like you said, they can really skew, um, you know, your intuitiveness to, to eat food and, and feel good. And, and that can be challenging. I, I love the therapy fun thing. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a good reminder to keep it light and just, we're going to make mistakes. And that doesn't mean you don't have to be accountable, you know, and learn new things and, and repair when you've made a mistake, but it's just helpful to remember, like, no one gets out of being parented unscathed because parents are human. We're going to make mistakes, you know? Absolutely. So the messaging that is, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, so you've given us already some really great tips and I know you said like, this is kind of broad, but I feel like it's really not. I think a lot of this, especially the essentials that you mentioned around routine and having boundaries, right? Those are things that might seem broad and simple, but they're not. And I think they, they can be very challenging, especially if you're going from a place of, you know, having maybe none of those practices in yeah. your home and then bringing those in that, that can be even more challenging, but hopefully this will be a preempt to people doing that maybe who eventually yeah. have kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, let's kind of talk through just really quickly. Um, I, I think probiotics are a thing that I really like to focus on trying to add in more diversity of probiotic rich foods, um, I know a lot of parents end up kind of reaching just for a probiotic supplement, which can be great. Like it, they definitely can be useful, but in terms of diversity, right, different types of probiotic strains and, and also just, you know, diversity of different foods, um, yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, not everybody's favorite foods. Right. Um, so in terms of ways to incorporate those into the diet, like my biggest suggestions are definitely smoothies, right? So smoothies are yep. a great way to get in some yogurt, fermented foods. Um, I've, I've seen like miso glazes on like sweet potatoes or even white potato fry type things like that. Oh, um, interesting. I'll have to try yeah. that. Yeah. So any suggestions there of ways that you've kind of given tips for parents? Yeah. And, you know, especially if you're listening to this and you haven't had kids yet, here's what I will say. Introduce fermented foods during like baby led weaning, early starting solids, because those flavors are really strong. Um, but it's not necessarily something that we're born with to avoid those flavors. And so trying to introduce it during what they call the flavor window, which is the window of time that our little ones don't know any better. They don't even know that they can say no. The autonomy isn't quite built there yet. And so we can introduce things and typically they'll try it. They might spit it out. But, um, you know, during the flavor window, I think it's officially from like eight to 18 months. Of course, it's always shifting. Um, but that's kind of the age. So if you don't have kids yet, or you have a baby at home or newborn, that's the best time to introduce it. Not everyone has done that, but something that has worked 
really well in my home is, you know, and this is going to be maybe a big jump for some people, but having those foods in the home that you are actually feeding. So we have kombucha that we make together. We have sourdough bread that we make together, water kefir even, or a milk kefir. You can do all these things in your home, which also brings the cost way down. You can pickle things in your home. You can actually create your own kimchi. And these foods are typically pretty expensive, at least where I live. If I go buy them off the shelf, they're expensive. And then my kids like spitting them out. And I'm like, wait, that was 25 cents that you just spit out of your mouth. You know, (laughs) I bought this like kimchi, like this beet pickled kimchi, whatever. And my kids did not like it. And it was, I think it was like $6 and 50 cents for like the smallest jar. And I could feel my frugal self (laughs) with like a gut wrench, like, oh my gosh, they don't like it. And I spent all this money. And so to avoid that, to sidestep that, I'm like, okay, how can we bring these foods into our home in a way that I'm not offended, you know, and when they don't eat it, I don't feel like I'm losing money. And it gets the kids involved, which again is a huge picky eater tip. Like literally when I'm making kombucha, the kids are like sitting up watching me pour in the tea and stir in the sugar and do all the steps. And it, it feels really overwhelming to you who are listening. Trust me, start with one, choose one and start it. Like literally uh, kombucha is one of the lowest, like um, lowest, what am I trying to say? What's the word? Um, upkeep, lowest upkeep foods Mm. that you can keep in your home. I make it like once a month, maybe once every six weeks. And then if you're out of town or whatever, you can just let it sit. So anyways, that's my tip of how we've done a better job incorporating it in our family. Things like sauerkraut, um, kimchi, things like that. I scramble in with potatoes. Potatoes usually kind of like absorb the flavor and kind of make it a little more mellow. Um, I try not to heat it up too high. <laughs> of course, I don't want to kill all the bacteria that we're trying to adjust, but um, I do scramble it in with things like that. And that's also helpful. Um, adding things typically for picky eaters, like some sort of dip or cheese are usually mm. foods that our little ones will eat. Um, so any sort of dip that you can use for, let's say you make that scramble with potatoes, you can dip it in ketchup or something like that, that can help with that flavor as well. Yeah, you could. I've made my own ketchup before. That might be a little mm. aggressive for some people, but I've <laughs> right. um, done my own barbecue sauce too with like you can yeah. use a little apple cider vinegar. So that's a fermented food as mm-hmm. well. And I brought that to, we brought it to Christmas dinner one time and like everyone was dipping their potatoes in it. We had like potatoes the night before with a roast and it was amazing. You know, there's so many yeah. ways to sneak it in and, and that's that's just probiotics. I mean, you could talk about stir fries, smoothies. When I was a kid, my mom used to, put cauliflower in our mashed potatoes before it was cool, right? There's so many different ways. And even now when I make, um, you know, meatballs here, I'll throw a can of beans in there and we have no idea. It's it's actually the texture is quite delicious. So stir fries, soups, smoothies, so many ways to get more fibrous foods, vegetables, things like that. I love you. You mentioned the mushroom puree. Yeah. And I think too, um, trying to ask yourself, like, how can I get creative with this? And that's really where I had to start, especially is bringing one new food, two new foods into my home every week. I remember radishes were a food I just never bought. I just didn't buy it. And mostly because my mom never bought them. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. we just tend to pick up from our own family or experiences. And then we kind of tweak it a little bit, like maybe 2% and then continue on with that. And so just looking for one or two new foods. And sometimes if you have pick eaters, it's fun to bring the kids and let them pick out one or two new foods to bring home. And just, you know, especially with these fermented foods, ask yourself, how can I get creative with this and know that it's not always going to be a home run and that's okay too. I love that you mentioned that because I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here thinking like, 
okay, so I live in this fairy tale land where everything goes perfectly and yes. my kids are smiling and they're like, gosh, no, yes. that's not real no. life. So no. I love how realistic you are and you've given us some incredibly practical tips. Oh, thank um, you. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So you, you have a course, right? So you mentioned, yeah. tell us a little bit about the course. Yeah, absolutely. So it's called Table Talk. Um, It's a course for parents of picky eaters. And what I really wanted to create is a place where you can go and learn everything you need to know to overcome picky eating. We start with the foundations and I I touched on two of them here, um, but we go deeper into those ones. And then there's some additional ones as well. And this is kind of what I explain as the foundation of the home. It is so important to have these foundations right because if we were to focus on the things that go viral on Instagram, they might work for a day or two, maybe even a week, but typically it wears off because it was the nuance of it that worked. When you stack some of those strategies that do go viral and the ones that don't on Instagram, on top of the foundation, it starts to work and it kind of builds up the scaffolding for the house. And your house becomes way more secure when that foundation is in place. So we start with the foundations, then we move into more of the strategies, the methods, because there are ways, a lot of times when I tell parents like, hey, pressure at the table doesn't work. In fact, it makes pick eating worse. They go, okay, but then what do I do? Like, what do you mean? What do I do? And so then we start to go into the strategies and the methods that actually work without adding pressure to little ones. And then of course we do a deep dive into nutrition and vitamins and minerals and what your kids actually need and how to know they're getting enough of the right things all the nerdy like dietitian stuff that I of course love. And then we wrap it all up and put it all together. There's also an entire section on what I call troubleshooting where they're actually able to go in and say, okay, what, what happens if my kid's throwing food and what happens if, you know, they're rejecting this meal night after night, what do I do in those situations? So um, we go through some troubleshooting and then there's some nitty gritty too there. And it's all on your own time. So you can work through it at your own pace. You have forever access to it, which is really incredible. And then being a part of table talk, I offer one free month inside my membership for free for everyone who's a Table Talk grad, um, which means that you get to come and hang out with me and the other people in the Table Talk membership, share your experiences, learn new things of how to actually help your little ones try new foods. We do two focus foods a month. So this month we're doing Brussels sprouts and bananas. And I give you ideas on how to introduce these foods to your little ones. They have like the best chance of actually eating it and liking it. And then we do, we go live as well. So where I can answer your questions, your actual real life questions. And I know that's so important to so many families saying, yeah, this is a great course, but what about this unique situation that my kid has? And that's why I give you a free month in there. So you can come get all your questions answered. And yeah, um, there's also an additional bonus that if you sign up through Table Talk, you get my demystifying desserts mini course. Cause so many parents say my kids are obsessed with sugar and cookies and cupcakes and what do I do and how do I have them form a healthy relationship around sweets, but also how do I, you know, kind of control how often they're having these things? Because we all know sugar in too high amounts isn't great for our little ones, but that doesn't mean we necessarily have to restrict it like crazy in our home. So there's some nuance there and that course is offered to only people who go through the table talk program because it pairs really nicely. That's incredible. That's amazing. And these are the things in school that it's like, I would have loved to have not been drawing rectangles and squares. And I wish that someone would have taught me how to do this kind of thing, but um, that's amazing. And I'll be sure to link that information um, in the show notes here, obviously. Now the, the last and most important question for today, before I let you go is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Oh my goodness. I love this question so much. Okay. 
oh, I have so many that are running through my brain. (laughs) I think probably one of my most strong memories and definitely my favorite, although it's a little unfair because it's with my grandfather who's now passed. So he probably goes straight to the top. Um, is my grandfather had a, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, he had a garden in the back of their house and he never like tended to it super well. I think at least from my memory and, um, the deer would come and eat it. And then I would be like, don't you want to put up a fence? And he'd be like, no, it's all right. They need it too. <laughs> my gosh, that is so funny. And I just remember going back there and learning about the different seeds he was planting and the different, you know, uh, vegetables and things like that. And sometimes he'd harvest and sometimes he'd let the deers eat it. And he was so lax about it. And I think about that all the time because I'm like very uptight about the garden that we had. We no longer have one where I'm like very regimented, like, okay, it's 11 a.m. today. I need to go water it. And he was so lax and it it grew so well. And it's like, you know, nature can take care of itself. And I I just remember that because I think um, it's, it's so helpful to see how food is grown, where it starts to what it becomes to how it gets in our plate. That whole process is super interesting to kids. And so I always say, you know, as a parent too, for pick eaters to bring it back to this, let them in on the process, let them see that. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I really remember that really well. That's beautiful. And I think that message actually can translate into so many areas of nutrition of this idea of, the more we try to micromanage and like control, like we're talking like, you know, white knuckling it, then sometimes the worse off that can be. And oh my gosh, is that true? That is so true. And that, that exact scenario happened when I tried to start a garden was first year, no idea what I was doing, did Mm -hmm. it. Everything grew was great. Next year planned out everything perfect. Nothing grew the second year. I have the chills. That's so funny. It's so So accurate. Your your grandfather was doing it right. And I think we can learn a lot from, from, you know, those generations. I I definitely Mm -hmm. have learned so much from my grandfather as well in that same exact manner of like, you know, we're in this day and age where it's like, let's, let's micromanage and biohack and do every little detail perfectly. And it's like, sometimes that's actually not better for us. Totally. Yeah. I say this thing all the time to our members in the mama wall community is like, Hey, let's learn how to ride the wave instead of trying to push against it. You know, Mm. this is our nature. This is our biology. This is the feelings, the emotions that are coming up with you. What if we didn't try to stop the ocean, right? Like what Mm. if we didn't try to push against it and said, we rode the wave, we learned how to surf it in. And it's kind of the same idea of like letting nature takes it, take, take its course, but also learning how to go with the flow and, and still having the control in the, the areas that we can mm. and letting everything else go, which I think that's the secret of life though. So good luck. I mean, really, we, we can just <laughs> take the whole out. episode, like cut it off and then just put yeah. that right there. And we're like, that's all you need to know. That's it. And that's the end. <laughs> that's the end. Oh man. Well, thank you, Alyssa, so much for coming on today. I know you've got to get back to your busy life, but um, I will definitely be sure to link uh, your information in the show notes and would encourage anyone, um, I guess, forgot to ask, do you do what age do you um, do you take for clients? Yeah, so inside Table Talk, um, it's really aimed at children ages one through 10. Um, but I've had several families come through with 12 and 13 year olds, no problem, um, and have really loved the material there. The basics are really the same. It's the language that changes. So as your kid grows and ages, you can just be a little bit more like I, I kind of tend towards the be quieter and like tech, talk less about the food and instead connect over other things. Um, but as they grow, you can start to obviously educate them about 
what things like proteins, you know, do in our body and how carbohydrates work and things like that. So it's really just about that. And I actually have an entire section in the course that says how to age the um, table talk program with your child. So it kind of gives parents like a lifting off point that says, oh, this course isn't just for toddlerhood and young children. And then I'm kind of like out of luck later. This really kind of ages with your kid, which is helpful. And then, like I said, then you have access to the membership and I take, you know, I help parents with all different ages in there as well. Um, So you can always get help um, through that. And then anytime I do have open one-on-one spots with my clients, I open them to my table talkers first. So typically you don't see me talking about that very much. Awesome. Well, that's so great. Well, thank you again. And it's amazing the work that you're doing and you're changing the trajectory of gut health. You're going to change our gut microbiomes for the work that you're doing. So for that, I am very grateful. (laughs) And thank you so much. Thank you for having me on and letting me talk about this stuff. I so appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. I think it's so needed. My pleasure. And I would encourage everyone to go follow you on Instagram because your content is fun. It's, it's digestible pun intended. And (laughs) I just, that's, that's how I found you. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Erin. This was so fun. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you are interested in applying for my group coaching program, the next round starts in January. I just had my second to last meeting this week and all the participants have been seeing amazing results. And if you're interested in purchasing my cookbooks, they'd be a great gift for someone over the holidays. You can go to nutritionrewired.com. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.